0: receive great news it just does something to us it's like a weight has been lifted off of us and it, it all depends on the news that has been given if you're given great news and it's given to you by a person whom you were worried about or or maybe something you're waiting for it changes your attitude about life and it depends on how heavy that news was that is dependent on where you're going to go from there If you just get news like, you know, something came in, maybe you ordered something and and it was like shoes or something, that's good news too. But when it has to do with life or death, that exponentially changes when it comes to good news and how we're going to feel. See, when we experience good news or when someone tells us good news or something that is important, it's all dependent on what that news is about that will cause us to change our attitude or our outlook in life. If you're a teenager, sometimes the greatest news is mom and dad got you a... Yeah, car, cell phone, something like that. Yeah, car, house. But when, you, when you're at a certain age, when, you, when you're in your 20s or 30s and, and you're, you're wanting to lose weight, the greatest news is when you step on the scale that you see the weight loss. And then when you hit your 40s and 50s, you're like, forget it. Let's just eat. I don't care. It's just too hard. But it depends on the news that you're given that is going to change your attitude and going to change your outlook on life. And God gave us the greatest message in history, the greatest news in history. And that is being reconciled with him. In other words, we were far from God and he provided a way back to himself Through Jesus Christ. It's the greatest news that we could ever possibly imagine. In fact, the gospel, when we say the word gospel, that actually means good news. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. And sometimes we take it for granted because we forget on how great the good news of Jesus Christ is. In this series that we're calling Counterfeit, we're learning that the devil himself masquerades as an angel of light in fact if you're new today we welcome you in your bulletin are some notes that you can take out that will help you to follow along some of you use our the new hope church app so you can you can take notes on there too but in this series that we've been going through second corinthians 4 tells us that satan himself masquerades as an angel of light That's what he does. He's he's very crafty. And if you read from the very beginning of time when when God created man and woman in the Garden of Eden, that the devil, the serpent, was very crafty in how he spoke to Eve in her disobedience to God. He spoke to her in such a way that it kind of caused her to rethink what God had said. And when the devil came to her and said, did God really say that? It's kind of like he was saying, you know, there's more options than what God is telling you. That if you consider this, then you'll be just like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And so the counterfeiter, the devil himself, will appear as an angel of light. In other words, he will be able to appeal to our senses in such a way that we think it's okay then we think, oh, this it sounds good, looks good, tastes good, feels good. But then in the end, it's actually not good. That's how good he is in the sense of being a counterfeit. This word counterfeit actually comes from the Latin, two Latin words, contra and "facer," which means in opposition and make. Those two words. So when the devil comes as a counterfeiter or appears as an angel of light, he is in opposition to the things of God. When God gives us value, he wants to rob us of value. When God gives us life, he wants to take away life. When God gives us dreams, hopes, and aspirations, the devil wants to rob us of that and strip all of that away. But if we're able to come to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, then we'll be able to differentiate between the angel, the devil appearing as the angel of light or as an angel of light, and then the word of God, the spirit of God, and who Christ is. Unless we come to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, we won't be able to determine what is what and which one is of God, which one isn't. Why? Because the devil himself masquerades as an angel of light. And that word masquerades really means to transform, that he can appear as. So if we're not careful, if we don't know the real deal when it comes to Jesus Christ, the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, we'll get duped all the time. And we won't even be able to receive the greatest message that God has given to us. See, messages are great. But if you don't get the message, it doesn't matter how great it is. If we don't even receive it. And the good news of Jesus Christ is the greatest message in history. But if we don't receive it, and if we don't get it, it doesn't matter how great it is. It's never going to impact our lives. See, God gave us this message, the good news, that brings us closer to himself through this relationship with Jesus Christ. And the devil wants to separate us from God and keep us further from God. He even dupes us into thinking that as believers that, no, nobody wants to hear about God. People are tired of hearing about God. People, are, people don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. They, they don't want to hear about some religious fanaticism. And the devil wants us to believe that, that in our day and age today, no one wants to follow God. But that's not true. See, the Bible says that God has put eternity in the heart of man. In other words, we're always going to strive for eternal things. But the devil masquerades in such a way that he starts to counterfeit that which is eternal and that which is temporary. And so now, if we don't know the difference between the two, we're going to chase not after eternal things. We're going to chase after temporary things, thinking that's what's going to bring us happiness when it's not, when it's only temporary. We chase after money, after a relationship that we think is going to fulfill all of our heart's desires when, it's gonna, when in fact it's supposed to be God in there first. As he says, seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else will be added. But we seek everything else first and then when, he, when we're down and out and we have nowhere else to turn, then we turn to the kingdom of God. And he says, no, you have that opposite. And that's what the devil has done. He, he made in opposition to what God has given to us so we want to learn then how do we receive this greatest message the good news of Jesus Christ when the bible tells us that oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of good news and if the bible does say that then how are we to live in a world that says no one wants to hear the message of god no one no one wants to hear this message of jesus christ no one wants that kind of news well, we're going to learn today that God has given us such a message that is that important that we are to take into the world. You know, it is interesting that today we text message a lot. And if you're not a person who texts people uh, and you call people, and you're a type of person who maybe you don't want to uh, uh, leave a message, you want to talk to the person face-to-face, or you want to hear their voice, then you will constantly call them over and over. It's like you will never give up calling that person. Now, some of us, we're the type of people who we don't want to talk to the person. We're, this is so amazing. In our day and age today, we hope we get someone's voicemail. Like we call people and we think, oh, man, I hope they don't answer. I hope they don't answer. Oh, perfect, yes, voicemail. And then we leave a message. Why? Because we don't have the time to talk to people anymore. We're at a day and age that we hope we get voicemail, so we can talk to them. We don't even answer our phones. We see the person's name. We're like, "Nope, going to voicemail." <laughs> we'll just and if it's important, then they'll leave a message. See, what God didn't do is leave a voicemail or just a piece of paper for us. God came in person. God came in person. That's how incredibly important the message of the good news of Jesus Christ is. Because God could have sent it any other way. He could have just left it on the stone tablets. He could have inscribed it on some mountain and that would have been cool. But he came himself. See, when you have An important message, it all depends on how important that message is and how you're going to deliver it. Yeah, you can text people certain messages. You can do that. You can even write to someone and send it in the mail. But when it's incredibly important, you want to meet with them face to face. And that's what God did for us through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle, one who was converted after Jesus died and rose from the grave, he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ after Jesus rose from the grave. And Paul the Apostle, before he came to Jesus Christ, he was, he was called Saul, and he was actually persecuting the church. He was, he was a Pharisee, someone who knew the ways of God, but he didn't follow in how God wanted him to follow in his ways, he didn't follow the ways of God and how God intended it. And then when Jesus shows up and comes on the scene and dies and rises from the grave, now all of these people are believing in Jesus as the son of God, as the Messiah, the one who has been chosen to redeem us so that we could be reconciled with God. Well, Paul doesn't, well, Saul at that time, he doesn't, he doesn't buy that. So he's persecuting the church and then he comes to meet Jesus Face to face, he gets this vision from God. And then, because of this vision, his whole life is changed. And not just for this earth, for all of eternity. Paul writes almost one-third of the New Testament in all of these letters to the different churches that they began. Why did he do that? Why such a drastic life change? Because God visited him in such a way to let him know that this message of Jesus Christ is so incredibly important. So much so that we still, even today, preach the message of Jesus Christ. We don't just attend church. We're learning from the Bible the greatest message in history. If you have a Bible at home, you possess the greatest message in history. It's, it's not, we used to think that the Bible protected our home. You might be thinking, wait a minute, wait, it doesn't protect my home? This is, this is, I'm sorry to say, this is paper and ink. This is probably made, I don't know where this is made, um, probably somewhere else, not Hawaii, but made somewhere. I'll try and find it. Oh, printed in China. <laughs> so, it's printed in China, and this is in your home, and we think this protects our home. You know what makes this holy? It's not, it's not just the book itself. It's, it's actually when we read the words, put it in here, and then live it out. That's what makes it holy. Holy means to be set apart. The holiness of God is when his word is lived out. That message that God gave to us, that Jesus gave, came for you and I to reconcile us with God is the greatest message you and I will ever come across. And Paul the Apostle understood that. And he clearly reminds us that the greatest message given to us was done not only through Jesus coming to this world, but also passed on to us so that we could take it into the world, so that we could continue to spread this good news. Let's look at our notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12-13. through 13. It, it reads this, and Paul is speaking this. He's writing this to the church in Corinth, to the Corinthians. And he says this, Now now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and then went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many... We do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as what? As those sent from God. Isn't it pretty, it's pretty amazing that the Bible would actually say that you and I are sent from God to bring this gospel into the world, that you're sent by God. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm not sent by God. You don't know my life. You don't know my past. I am definitely not sent by God. That's the whole reason why Jesus came. He came so that we could be set free from our past, our mistakes, our sins, so that we could have this new life, this life that we're born again, so that now we can live correctly in the way God intended us to live. And so, if we're at a place in life that we're thinking, no, I'm not sent by God, I, I, I'm, who am I? No, you hold the greatest message in history. You are sent by God. We speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. In other words, God is still there while you're speaking about Him. We're sent by God, but we speak before God with sincerity. And when the Bible says that he leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the donkey and people had palm branches, we call it Palm Sunday because that was the week before he went to the cross and died on the cross. When Jesus came in, they they had palm branches, they laid down their clothing because they were recognizing him as the king. Not the king of Israel in how King Jehu, if you read the Old Testament, came into kingdomhood, and and people were doing the same thing, laying down their clothing and, and palm branches. They were kind of doing the same thing to Jesus, but he wasn't king of Israel. He was king of everything, of eternity. And when Jesus came in with that triumphal procession, it's like God is saying, you're part of that. You're a part of that that royal priesthood, as it were. You're coming in with Christ, so you're coming in with the greatest message in history. That's how you and I are seen in the sight of God, that you're part of Christ's triumphal procession. To me, that's a privilege. It's an honor to be a part of that triumphal procession, to be sent by God. It's such a privilege and we have the greatest message to give to the world And the devil wants us to believe that the gospel has no more power in the world that we live in today. You know, messages that were never received or messages that we never read, if important, will determine how we're going to feel and how we're going to live from that day on out. Like simple things, it, it it doesn't ruin us. I remember one day I'm going home and this was after I was up here at the church, so I'm, I'm on my way home. But I see I have a couple of text messages. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to read it. I'm driving, so I'll, I'll catch it later. I get home, and Heidi's not home. And so I'm wondering, why isn't she home? Where could she be? So I call her, and then I said, Heidi, where are you? She says, well, I'm in town. I, we live out in, in Keao. So she said, oh, I'm in town already. I said, what are you doing in town? She goes, didn't you get my text message? I said, "Well, maybe I did." So I checked my phone, and she said, "I want us to go to the movies." Now I love going to the movies. That is like my number one filler. I can I can go to the movies all day. Some of you do, and I see you there. I can go all day. And so she texted me. She left a message. I didn't get it, and so I I, I felt so. You know how you're you're angry, happy. You're like you're just yeah. You, you, you're like in between. So I was like angrily happy because I'm driving back into town to go to the movies. I'm okay with that. Why? Because I love going to the movies. Now, simple messages like that, text messages, those are simple things that, yeah, we deal with. But if it's something to do with like a life and death situation, boy, that haunts us for a long time if we don't respond correctly or if we don't get the message. So it was on this one Sunday morning, I read the article. And it says, Kermit Arthur Tyler was born on April 21, 1913 in Iowa. He grew up in Southern California and became an Army Flying Cadet in 1936. But there are only four words that he spoke on this one Sunday morning. But they made him a footnote figure in a catastrophic day for America and shadowed him the rest of his long life and the four words don't worry about it it was only lieutenant tyler's second day at the tracking center he had no understanding of radar because it was new technology he had been given no specific orders on what he was supposed to do and was accompanied by a lone army private serving as a telephone operator A group of servicemen assigned to plot the locations of unidentified planes had finished their night's work and gone back to their barracks. Lieutenant Tyler would recall how a friend once told him that a Honolulu radio station normally off the air at night would be broadcasting around the clock if American bombers were flying in from the mainland, enabling them to beam in on the signal. He had heard music on his car radio when he drove to his post hours earlier from his beach house on Oahu's north shore. And he was aware that B-17 flying fortress bombers were scheduled to arrive that day. Well, the radar had picked up the first wave of the Japanese bombers and fighters that began arriving over Pearl Harbor at 7.55 a.m. December 7, December 1941, and devastated battleship roll, plunging the United States into World War II. Well, I knew the equipment was pretty new, Mr. Tyler said, of the radar scope in an interview with the San Diego Union-Tribune long afterward. In fact, the guy who was on the scope who first detected the planes, it was the first time he'd ever sat at the scope. So I figured they were pretty green and and had not had an opportunity to view a flight of of B-17s coming in. Common Sense said, well, these are the B-17s that we were expecting And so I told them, don't worry about it. I wonder how many of us as believers have come to a place that we've begun to say with the message of Jesus, don't worry about it. And I have this message, but I'm not so worried about it because I don't want to offend someone. Maybe you're new today and someone invited you to church or maybe you're checking things out. Maybe God is doing something in your life and and maybe you're wondering, is there any hope for me? And the devil himself has been saying to you, don't worry about it. Nothing big. See, messages are important, determined on what the message is. Its value is determined on what that message is. And wherever we are in life, but the greatest message that was given to us is still valuable today as it was when God first gave us this message through Jesus Christ so what do we do with the greatest message in history i mean how do we how do we live with the message of hope that God gave to us with true security so what we're going to do is explore three ways in which God offers this message of good news, this, this news, this message of hope, so that we would be able to be victorious over the attacks of the enemy, be able to understand when he is trying to come at us, but more importantly, that we would relay the message to others who may feel that there's nothing to worry about. And here's the first thing that we can learn, and if you want to write this in, to accept reconciliation with God. That is the greatest news that we could ever receive. It's to, re, it's to accept the, this reconciliation with God, to be brought back to God. See, we were, weren't we taught at an early age to make things right? I mean, d- we do that to our kids when they're fighting. Like, we could care less what they're fighting about, right? And we don't even want to hear it. They're grumbling back and forth, and, and they'll say, Mom, Dad, you know, he did this, she did this. You know, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. I just want peace and quiet. So say you're sorry. Yeah, but she, I don't care what she said. I don't care what he did. You need to say you're sorry. And what do they do? Sorry. And no, you need to say you're sorry and mean it. Sorry. That's not saying it. And you give them spanking because they're not saying sorry correctly. So at an early age, we're saying you need to make things right. Why do we do that? Why do we say you need to make things right? I mean, we don't even want to know what they did. Well, what is the whole issue there? Yeah, it could be part of us saying we don't want to hear that grumbling and complaining. We just want peace and quiet. But part of it is probably relationship. That as parents, as grandparents, aunties, uncles, we can see that what you're fighting about is small compared to the relationship that you should have. And what God did when he sent us his one and only son is no different. And we could be grumbling back to God and say, Yeah, but you don't know what I did. He's, I, I don't want to hear it. Because my, my, my goal is, is not to figure out what you did wrong, my goal is to bring you back to myself. Relationship. See, God is more concerned about who you and I are becoming than what we've done. That's his concern. So we need to accept that reconciliation with God. Do you know know what we do? Most of the time, we accept failure with God than we do being reconciled to God. Yeah, we accept failure with God more than we do being reconciled with Him. We beat ourselves over the head over and over constantly when God says, no, I want you to be reconciled with me. Look at what 2 Corinthians 15 tells us. 17 through 19, it says that this means that anyone who who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of... Reconciliation. It's the greatest news to be reconciled to God. That word reconciliation means to exchange or of the business of money changers. It's exchanging equivalent values, adjusting of a difference, reconciliation, restoring a favor. It's it's bringing it back to balance, to even. It's like when you ask someone change for a dollar, whatever they give you in change should equal a dollar. You ask someone, can I have change for a dollar, and they give you 50 cents, you're going to feel like you're ripped off. You're going to say something, but when they give you equivalent value to it, you don't say anything. Why? Because that's equal value. That's reconciliation, and it all balances out. Now, here's what is so amazing about God. Because of our sin, we we're in debt to God. We we're in debt to our sins. We had to pay for our sins, and God says, you know what? I'm going to reconcile you to me. Yeah, but I I can't pay this off. You're giving me eternal life and forgiveness. I don't have equal value. He says, no, no, no. You have equal value. Well, how do I have equal value? My son Jesus paid for your sins. So you're reconciled with me. You're balanced out. Your account is equal. It's paid in full. You're reconciled with God. That's what Jesus did for us. That's how incredibly important this message is, that Jesus himself paid the price for our sin. And he says, now, you, now you've been given this wonderful message of reconciliation. Go let other people know that they too, have their sins have been paid in full. Now, you're not gonna walk up to people and say, hey, Matt, your sins are paid in full. Huh, what? Yeah, your sins are paid in full. Oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's a way to do this but it's the message of hope. It's saying that, that we, we are now in God's sight, holy and without fault. That's what Ephesians 1.4 says. That long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even with all the junk that came with our life when we accepted Jesus, he says, that's how I see you. Why? Because I died for your sins. I paid the price for everything. I settled all the differences. And the enemy comes as a counterfeiter and disguises himself to appear as a false hope that if we do good things, then we'll gain favor with God. If we just do right, then we'll balance out our account. And so we do good deeds in the hope that we can be reconciled with God. See, we, we do good deeds not because we want to earn God's favor. We don't do good deeds so that God would live in us. We do good because he lives in us. We don't do it for favor. We do it because we've gained God's favor through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.19. Let's read this scripture together loud and clear so that we can catch it. Let's read it. Ready? Go. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. You know what the Bible is talking about? When Adam sinned and when Jesus died. Through Adam's disobedience, everyone is disobedient. Through Adam's disobedience, oh, we're all made sinners. But through Christ's obedience, dying on the cross, we were all made righteous. It almost seems unfair. Unfair for Jesus, But for us, we receive the gift. And I think that's probably why we have a hard time coming to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ is because we're looking at our faults, not his favor. That he gave us Jesus Christ. Once we take our eyes off of Jesus, the natural default is to look at ourselves. But if we fix our eyes on him, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Be reconciled to God. Accept that reconciliation. It's all ordained by God. It's His favor. He gave us this message of reconciliation. Here's the second thing, to trust in the power of the cross. And I know even, even today, sometimes we don't, when we hear about the power of the cross, it almost seems outdated. In fact, even society says for the Bible, well, it's written 2,000 years ago, so it must be outdated. So let's change laws so that it's now relevant. Well, It's amazing because when you change laws and you think of what, ha- what is happening in our world today and you read the Bible, society has not changed one bit. Everything we struggle with today, they struggled with even in the Bible days. Hmm, how could that be? That sounds interesting. How is that even possible? Well, because we're human beings. We do the same thing over and over and over. Nothing new is under the sun, the Bible says. We still have flaws, and we still, even in our day and age, rebel against God. Yeah, you can read from the beginning of time, nothing has changed. Same. That's why Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything he has done, everything he did, and everything he is doing never changes. Why? Because he is eternal. And he wants to help us to come to the true saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So now, on the cross, when he paid for our sins, there is power on the cross. Now, you might think, well, how does that give us power? Because that was 2,000 years ago, so what message can we receive from that? That's already done. How is that relevant to my life today? Well, just think about it this way. Let's just say we were shipwrecked. Okay, we were on this ship together, shipwrecked. But on the ship, before the ship went down, we saw like pieces of wood, maybe some of those barrels, you know, those wooden barrels that, you know, if you watch like a pirate movie, they're always in the pirate movies. They always make the part. So they're always there. The ship goes down. What was normally not even considered anything, if you're drowning and you find one of those barrels, that is life-saving. Why? Because it, now it depends on where you are. You're floating in the deep blue ocean, and you need something to save your life. Well, that's the message of the cross. Our life hangs between temporary and eternity, and we're all floating out at sea. Now, some of us, we can tread water really good. We can tread water really good for a long time. I I don't need the cross of Christ. I don't need the saving power of God. But after a while, life gets tiresome. You become weary. We hit this thing called rock bottom, a difficult time, and then we say, I'll take the piece of wood. It's like, I'll I'll hang on that piece of wood. Remember, uh, I think it was a movie like Titanic. Like in the end, they're hanging on this door, and it's so sad, and she's hanging on, Jack, don't go, Jack, don't go. And then he just goes. It's like such a sad part. But she drifted on that thing for a long time. Now, the cross of Christ, although a piece of wood, saves us. It's the cross of Christ. Not the cross itself, but there is power in the cross. Why? Because it was who was on the cross that brings its power. Never underestimate the power of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, those who are just treading water, they're like, why do I need that piece of wood? I don't need that. Yeah, they're just treading water. Yeah, it's to those who are perishing, but to those, to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, what makes the cross of Christ so powerful is that God's power was on display and his wisdom to put death in its place, and the works of the devil in the grave. It's the power of the cross. First Corinthians one twenty-two through twenty-four tells us that the Jews demanded a sign, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles, but those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. In other words, Paul the Apostle is saying, Yeah, you're gonna have two sides. In, and, and in those times, it was the Jews and the Greeks. But he's saying, even today, you're going to have different groups of people who are saying, why do I need the cross? It's foolish. But it is the power of God unto salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, even God's so-called foolishness, the way some may take it, that why, would, why do we need God? It is the power that comes with the cross that becomes the wisdom of God, and it's stronger than any of our human strength. And we can trust the power of the cross because that's the way God chose to reconcile us back to himself. In other words, God took the responsibility on himself when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. God didn't, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. You know what God did? He took on the blame. He didn't blame anyone. He said, I'll I'll take the hit. And he reconciled us back to himself. That's how powerful the cross is. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, that there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Yeah, God gave us that. It's the power of the cross. When Jesus died for us, it changed everything. And so here's what we can do. Number three, be a living message of good news. Just be a living message of good news, that you are the bearer of good news. In other words, when you walk into a, your home with your family, anywhere you go, to work and church, if you serve in a, a, a ministry, when you come there, do you come there with the, with the hope of good news that wherever you go, you're carrying this good news that it changes your demeanor, your attitude, and everything you do because you have this good news. You see it on children's faces. They'll, they'll make a craft in school or even at church, and then you, they'll come home, and then they'll hold it behind their back, and they'll walk up to you, smiling face, everything in their countenance. You can tell something's up. They'll walk up to you and go, Mom, Mom, close your, close your eyes. I have something for you. That's how they look. And then depending on the child, you keep one eye open and then you say, what is it? And, and then they give you whatever it is. Why do they come to you like that? Why do they come excited? Why do they come with a countenance in such a, a, a great demeanor? Why? Because they have something to give to you. There's a message there. Maybe they wrote something, drew something, colored something. They want to give it to you. And I wonder how many of us, even as believers, that we don't walk around the world with that anticipation of we're carrying good news, we walk around like, oh, yeah, i got to work today. Oh, my goodness. Work, work, work. Like, we, we even say, that, how are you doing today? Ah, busy. How's your week? Busy. So what are you doing today? Ah, whatever. You know, i got to work hard. Ah, hardly working. Ha, ha, ha. Like, we have, these, we have these phrases that we use. And it's like God is saying, no, you have, you have the greatest message, the hope, the gospel of Jesus. That our lives should reflect that. How do we live out this message of good news? Let's read this together. And this is Isaiah. He was one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. And and as we read this, I I want you to just kind of understand what the Bible is telling us. It's going to pop up here on the screen. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. You know what the Bible is saying? It's not necessarily that we have beautiful feet. It's not talking about a physical look that we have. It's talking about the message in which we carry that makes our life, beautiful. It makes who we are wonderful. Why? Because we hold this message. Have you ever eaten at a restaurant or eaten at a restaurant and you, you are served great food and the waiter, waitress comes over and says, how was your food? And you compliment them. You're like, this is so good. And they say, oh, thank you. You're complimenting the wrong person. Right? I mean, we should be giving the cook's tip. Right, all the cooks are like, yeah, 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 it's a good idea. Well, no, everybody, yeah, these, yeah, the waitress and waiter, yeah, they deserve that too. But sometimes we're, we're actually telling the wrong person. At the same time, sometimes we yell at the waiter or waitress when it's not their fault. Why? Because they're the messenger. It's like we take out all of our anger on the messenger but you and I are messengers. What makes it valuable and our feet beautiful is not us. It's the one who gave us the message. It is Christ himself. Now, some people, they'll thank you. They'll say, oh, thank you so much for inviting me to church. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you. And they'll, they'll give you the accolade. But it's really not us. It's, it's the cook, <laughs> it's Christ himself and then sometimes people will get angry at us we've done maybe we've done some things we've done some things that are wrong maybe people are against God whatever it would be and we receive that hit too but nonetheless what never changes is the message that we are to give the Colossians 3 excuse me 1 verses 13 and 14 tells us that for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of The Son he loves, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Very rarely do we hear that anymore, that we're forgiven of our sins. The greatest message in history is that we were far from God, separated from him, and then we were brought near to him who didn't, because he didn't want to spend eternity without us. See, God doesn't hate us because of our sins. He, he loves us in spite of our sins. So be reconciled to God. We find redemption in the Son and forgiveness of sins. Trust in the power of the cross, and then be that living message of hope to people so that they too can find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, today we call it Mission Sunday Sunday. And on Mission Sunday, we receive a special offering. And, and this is for those who, who understand that we take this message out into the world. And we have one of our missionaries. His name is John Mazaregos, And he's a missionary who pastors in, uh, in Mexico. And we caught up with him while we were in D.C. Uh, and you saw the video earlier, if you were here earlier, that uh, we're going to bring the conference here. We're going to be showing the videos on our Wednesday night starting uh, August 26th. think it's the 26th yeah uh or 23rd uh but the week before we're going to kick it off with our worship night called commissioned but this this video series that we're doing is going to help us to understand even more what god is doing through our denomination foursquare but personally what he is doing in our lives and uh today uh, let this be our our our, kind of like a a renewal for all of us that we go out into the world and live for jesus christ you don't need to be as as john was saying you don't need to be super religious about it you're just in with people you're connecting with people you're loving people today for those of you who are going to be water baptized you're you're making a decision And you're saying, I want to bring this message of hope into the public. I'm going to let everybody know that I believe in Jesus Christ. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your next step. You're going to now let everybody know that you believe in Jesus. Why? Because it is the greatest message in history. You and I have been given that privilege. Would you bow your heads with me as we conclude? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we get to serve you that we get to love you, and now we get to love people. Help us to take this message into the world, Lord, so that more people can come to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray for these here, Lord, that maybe they've never said yes to you. And if that's you, and you're saying, i had never said yes to Jesus, but I would like to receive this ministry of reconciliation. I want to be reconciled with God. If that's you, would you just lift a hand and we'll pray together? You're saying, I want Jesus in my heart right now. You're saying, I want... I want that gift of eternal life. I want to receive Christ. Yeah, God sees you right here. God bless you right here. And back there, right here on my side. Yeah, God sees you. Yeah, you can put your hands down. And As we pray this prayer, God sees you back there too. When we say this prayer, it's, it's a prayer that connects us back to God. And even if you've said this prayer hundreds of times, as we say this prayer again, it's reminding us about the greatest message that the world would ever hear. Let's pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. And make me brand new. I believe in you. That you died for me. And rose from the grave. So that I might have eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said together, amen.